Good evening. As we continue our discussion from this morning about uh, a ministry of prayer, we're going to be looking at Matthew 6. And so for our brief devotional period tonight, it seemed appropriate uh, to look at a different part of Matthew 6. So turn to Matthew 6, verse uh, 19. uh, I'll share a few thoughts from one of my favorite passages of Scripture for our devotional period tonight. From Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we've talked about this passage before. I shared that it's probably one of my more favorite passages of Scripture. But one of the things I find fascinating about this, this section of Jesus' teaching is if you really look at uh, some of the textual evidences and some of the kind of context clues that we get, uh, you, you can sort of paint a picture of the kind of people who followed Jesus around everywhere. And the people who would have heard uh, the Sermon on the Mount especially, by and large, were really not all that rich. And I don't know about you guys, but for whatever reason when I read this passage, I used to always think, of, of like a cartoonish Scrooge McDuck pile of money, of gold coins, of laying up for yourself this massive vault full of gold and jewels and valuables and things of that nature. And so when I, when I just read that phrase, laying up treasures for yourself, that's just always what I thought of. And, I, and so I guess I kind of subconsciously assumed Jesus was always talking to very wealthy people when in reality uh, he, was, he was probably talking to people who are on the complete opposite end of the scale. And the thing about reading it the way that I was reading it is I kind of thought that don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven when I thought of, again, a a Scrooge McDuck throwing up all the gold coins in the air. I thought it just meant, well, don't be overly wealthy or or don't be overly greedy. But if you consider his audience, the people that he's telling don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven probably had enough food for like the day or they probably had enough money for the day. Maybe a few days, maybe a few families had just really, really saved up and really, really worked and toiled and sold a few things that week. And so they had food for like three days. But for the most part, these were, these were people who walked the street. The, the, the crowds who followed them were, were very poor, even by their own standards of the day. The clothes that they wore were probably the only clothes they had. If they found work that day, they ate. If they didn't, they went hungry. Which is what makes the the scenes where Jesus is performing miracles and and actually feeding them food and water so powerful. Because these are people who often did not know where their next meal was coming from. And so I think it's one thing to read hunger and thirst for righteousness when really I've never truly been hungry or never truly thirsted for water and not known where to find clean, drinkable water. But this same group, he says, well, why do you... Why do you thirst for water that just makes you thirsty again? Why do you work for bread that just makes you hungry again? And and these were people who had known true hunger and true thirst. It's interesting. And so he tells in Matthew 6, he tells this likely, like I said, very poor, destitute group of people. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Just kind of puzzling because these are people who could not have in any sense of the word laid up treasures for themselves even if they really, really wanted to. And so I've always kind of wrestled with that. Like, that doesn't make sense. Why would he tell them that? Why, why is he telling people who are just barely getting by don't 
don't be obscenely wealthy. Don't, don't be greedy. They're just they're trying to feed themselves. It doesn't make any sense. And so I, I chewed on it and thought about it, and I, I, I have begun to see it this way. I think he is telling them, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth because they're poor. And bear with me for a moment. People who have already stored up for themselves a gaudy, excessive, scrooge duck amount of money have never really thought about worrying about money. To them, they don't worry about money. They don't wonder where their next meal is coming from. They, if I told somebody like that, well, hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're like, I'm not hungry or thirsty now. You, you can't tell somebody like that to, to take bread and to take water seriously. You can't tell somebody like that, oh, don't worry about money. And there's, well, I've never worried about money. It's something I've always had plenty of. And so when I read some of these passages, like again, another one, give us this day our daily bread, I, you know, I, I read them, I'm like, okay, sure. I, 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 but I don't really know what that's like. I've been fortunate enough for most of my life to, to, to never actually have to say the prayer, Lord, give me enough food just to eat today. But that's what he's telling these people. And I think he's telling them that, again, because of exactly the situation they're in. And even if we've never been in quite that situation, I think their message still applies to us. Because I think he's saying, you know, I understand that you have nothing and you look around and you see these people in houses. You see these people with, with overflowing vats of water and overflowing kitchens of food. And you walk around with just enough for your day and you see those people and you envy their lives. You covet what they have and you think, oh, if I could just store up for myself enough like those people have, then I could be happy. And I think even though we might not be in the same position some of his crowd was, I certainly know I am guilty of looking at the things that some people have and saying, man, if I, if I just had that, boy, my life would be really, really smooth. If I could just get a little bit more from where I am now, then I'd be really content. If I could just get the one next, you know. If I could just get the one next promotion at work, boy, then, then, then I'd really be sitting, then it'd be okay. And I think Jesus tells us and the people in those kind of scenarios, don't strive after that. I know that you have nothing and you feel like you have nothing and you see people who have, who do not hunger, who do not go thirsty, and you think, I want that. And he says, don't. Don't strive after that. Don't covet that. Don't envy that. Don't seek the same things that they seek. Don't value the same things they value. Because why? Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He says, for, the, for those people who have sought to acquire treasure on earth, for those who have laid up for themselves great wealth on earth, the, they have done that and they have made their focus and their goal and their purpose in life wealth on this earth. And so he says, if you can step back and, and not strive after that and not have your goal to be to lay up treasures on earth, then you will then you will be able to have your heart on the things that are more important. Because it says the focus is not just about money. The focus is not about earthly things. But really, your heart should be on things that are above. It should be on things that are of the kingdom. And that's why he says, you know, where, where moth and rust do not destroy... He says, those people who have acquired up for themselves great wealth of material things, that's where their heart is. And I know sometimes it can be very hard for us to, to, to set our heart truly on the things of the kingdom or to value truly the things that Jesus values. 
But he says, if you, if you lay up for yourselves treasures in God's kingdom, you will naturally find that's where your heart is. So how do we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven? Well, you have to stick around because we're going to discuss uh, at the end of our time here, uh, discussing how to seek God in prayer and how to seek his will. But at this time, we have a time set aside for those who are lost, for those who need repentance, for those who need to confess their sins, for those who need baptism. If there's a need that we can meet at this time, won't you come while we stand and while we sit before we get Thank you, Jeff. But before we get started, uh, about just our Sunday night format, if you have the church calendar on your phone or digitally, you'll notice this. Um, whenever we get some more copies of the calendar printed off, this will have the change reflected on that as well. Uh, but I've, I've put on there our specific different Sunday night formats that we've been doing. Uh, obviously, those of you who are here have noticed we've been kind of doing the traditional service sometimes, the this class kind of discussion format a couple times a month. And then every fourth Sunday, we still have the, the young men's leadership thing. Uh, but those are marked on the calendar. Those will be kind of laid out, so hopefully you can kind of see uh, what's going on each Sunday night rather than just sort of it feeling random. Um, but I did want to mention that the fourth Sunday this week is after CYC, and so my hope is to, that we'll be able to kind of uh, really get all the kids in here, maybe sing a couple kids' songs, have a couple of the older kids lead some songs, and uh, just really sort of feed off of that high that they'll be coming off of a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of CYC. So uh, Sunday night, a couple weeks from now, the 27th, I believe, uh, will be our young men's leadership thing. We'll have an abbreviated service, sort of like we did tonight, and then at the end we'll uh, get a lot of the kids in here and we'll sing uh, some kids' songs and have a couple of the older ones lead us in some songs and maybe read a couple of scriptures. And that'll, again, that's February 27th is our uh, young men's thing. So be here, encourage people to be here. If you have, you know, even if you have kids that aren't members here, but in your family who have been to church before, have visited a couple times, encourage them to come. Because we'll, uh, the goal is to kind of really hype this up, really make it kid-friendly, and really make it make them feel like they're, uh, what we're doing is valuable what it's, and that it's important. So um, I guess that's enough of my soapbox on that for tonight. Uh, as we recap this morning, uh, for, for those of y'all who aren't with us, I have a few questions that I want to help us sort of unpack the scripture we looked at. Um, turn to Mark... Turn to Mark, and I'll tell you which part of Mark in a second. Mark 9. Our lesson this morning was from Mark 9, verse 14 through 29. And, and for those of you who were not here... Uh, our focus was essentially on, on the power of prayer in Jesus' miracle in this section of Mark 9. And how prayer is, is healing for those who are afflicted. It is faith for the, for the faithless. But it can also humble those of us who think we become maybe too good to need that anymore. But it, I want you, if, if you didn't read it this morning, or if you weren't here this morning, I want you to just take, a, couple, take a, a minute or so here and at least skim this little passage because I have a couple questions to really uh, help us continue to unpack the text. As we think about what Jesus was teaching and we think about what Mark was writing as he sort of put together this gospel, what, what do you think some that this text might have meant to some of Mark's contemporary audience in the in the first century in the ancient early church. What, what do you think his intent might have been with sort of this story? 
This will be a little easier for those of you who are here this morning. You have a little bit of a study guide, but... What do you think may have been his, the point that he was trying to communicate to, to the early church? What did they think when they read this? What was their takeaways? What would they have noticed or seen as important? Definitely. And really, I wasn't thinking this right now, but really that, that section would have had even more impact if we think about the early church and just the, the prevalence of gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fact that we know throughout most of the book of Acts there was still healings and things of that nature going on. So this would have been a very commonplace scene in the early church. We, we saw that Peter and Apostle had the, had the ability to lay hands and to heal people just as Jesus did throughout the book of Acts. So. They, this is certainly an event that they would have been familiar with. And yeah, it, there would have been a certain importance on saying, you know, if, if you have understanding and you have the gift of the Holy Spirit and you are familiar with Jesus' teachings, but you're not continually making supplication and communication still in contact with God, you're missing something. So certainly, that, that certainly would have played a big part of it. Anybody else? What what is I mean just what does this tell us about Jesus if nothing else? Like I said, if you weren't here, feel free to kind of skim it, take some time to look at it. What does this little section maybe tell us about Jesus? What does this section maybe tell us about Jesus? From Mark 9, 14 through 29. What can it teach us about Jesus? Or what can it tell us? What would it have? Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Wilton, for understanding that a story about healing tells us Jesus can heal. I'm sorry, I can't hear No, no, no. That's, yes, that's what, that's what I was looking for. I thought it was a, wasn't really a trick question. My wife would yell at me. No, that's all right. Nobody say, heard that. Say again? I said, no, no. It's, I try not to ask you guys trick questions. Sometimes, I suppose. But I try not to. Um, yes, it tells us Jesus can heal. I mean, we, we know the early church would have been, if they didn't see Jesus firsthand, they'd have known people who did, right? They'd have heard him. He'd have been on, it'd have been the talk of the town for, I mean, decades afterward. This was still a very lively, vibrant movement. And so, yes, it told us Jesus had the ability to heal. Well, he didn't. He didn't go looking for people that had problems. He was looking for people to come to him True. with problems. Yeah, I mean, he even... Today, he looked for us to come to God, looked for us to come to him. We yes. got problems because we love God and love what he done for us. So, yes, you make an excellent point. You got ahead of me a little bit. You must have been having my notes. Well, but no, no, that's perfect. Uh, he, you know, the, the early church would have seen, yes, Jesus has the power to heal. And hopefully they would have heard a story like this and thought, hey, you know, 
Jesus, the apostles, the church, they have something of value to those of us who are afflicted. So then in understanding that we too can, can be capable of having kind of the same kind of having our having some form of healing through him as well. And, and I think this passage, especially when we think about unclean spirits, you know, obviously they were talking about a boy being demon possessed. But if you sort of think of a play on words, I mean, we come to Jesus now to have our spirit cleaned. Right. So uh, certainly there's a meaning there. And obviously there's some significant differences between the early church hearing and kind of receiving this story and us now. As I mentioned, you know, that many of those people in the early church, while yes, Jesus would have been the talk of the town, there also would have been some who didn't know Jesus, who, who, did, who literally had not heard of this story before. Whereas nowadays, I mean, you're going to have a hard time finding somebody who has at least not heard of the faith that we're a part of. You know, and in many ways that's sometimes an obstacle more than it is helpful. But this crowd was still... You know, if I, if I told somebody about Jesus and I said, did you know Jesus performed miracles? They were like, yeah, that's like one of the three things I know about Jesus. Of course I knew that Jesus did that. But the early church, you know, they were, there were many who just did not know some of the basic stories of Jesus. And so when we, especially when we think about these disciples, Peter, James, John, those who, who saw the transfiguration, who saw the power and the might of God. But even though they didn't, we, we see even Peter himself not until Acts and not until later fully understands this taught them something about Jesus' ability and their ability to their ability to do the same thing if they put their faith in him. So Yes. Mm. Oh yeah, I mean definitely disappointed. We we see that is almost more than Almost as much as he is happy with them, he seems disappointed with them. And we're really looking at Jesus and the disciples. Because, yeah, he, he almost gets a point of frustration where he's saying, man, you're, you're learning and you're learning and you're learning. And I'm teaching and I'm teaching and I'm teaching and you're still not getting it, you know. You know I mean, it, if, if, we're, if we're trying to say what did it mean to them and then what can that mean to us, that's another one of those. That Jesus got very frustrated with the disciples. Why? Because he felt like he was teaching them that they weren't maturing in their faith. How often in our church now do we have discussions about are we just learning or are we actually maturing in our faith? You know, are we just filling pews or are we actually learning? Are we just participating? Are we actually growing? And so some of the same parallels that existed in their audience then. We have to learn because there's opportunity, well, even to do good to all people. We have every opportunity to come by. Sometimes it's people that quote scriptures that don't know what they're talking about. True. Well, we're not to make fun of them. <laughs> we're to teach them. Certainly. And they might say, well, are you trying to show me up? No. You're trying to teach them so they won't be lost. Absolutely. I mean, that's our goal. Certainly. Man knows it's... what we're running into. Are you calling him one of the people who quotes scripture who doesn't know what he's talking about? <laughs> no. Sometimes. So this morning we kind of talked about the main takeaways from this passage is that to the afflicted crowd, uh, through, through prayer we can have healing. To, to the disciples who feel like their faith might be weak, who, who just might understand, of course, Jesus, you know, we, we use the, the comment from, the, from verse 24 from the Father, I believe, help my unbelief, as sort of emblematic of those of us who, who long to be disciples of Jesus but might not fully get it. And so the lesson, again, from this morning was to those who are weak in our faith, prayer can bring us renewal, it can bring us restoration, it can bring us revitalization. And then really, there's a message to sort of those chosen few, Peter, James, and John, not that 
Jesus chooses some but not others now, but to, but to those who would think they get it, he, he kind of warns them that with prayer, this story kind of, I think, humbles them a little bit. It brings them back down to earth. Like you said, oh, faithless generation. He's, just, he's really disappointed in them. And so for those who might feel a little ahead of themselves, a little full of themselves that think they get it, uh, regular contact and communication with God will certainly humble you, or at least it should. And we'll talk about why that is a little bit tonight. So two more questions that I want us to be thinking about as we discuss some of the other uh, passages I want to look at this evening. And number one is how does this, those principles we talked about this morning about healing and renewing our faith, how does that fit with the rest of the Bible? How does that fit with the rest of Scripture? And we'll look at a couple examples. And then, of course, the, the, the big takeaway that we always ask is, so how can we live this out? How, how does this apply to me today? How can, how can I take this home and apply it to my life? And uh, we'll see as we sort of get into some more scriptures later. I want to put a pin in that for a moment. And I want to just sort of have a little bit of discussion here just on prayer in general. Is it easier for you, do you feel like, to pray or to read scripture? You can answer out loud. <laughs> just, just sort of shout it out. Some people say pray. Most people say pray. Interesting. I think this is the same audience last time I talked to a church about this. I'm Interesting. I would too, truthfully. Yeah, I, I, I don't I'm just not, say that because I'm up. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not just saying that because everybody else said something different. <laughs> well, we know. Okay. Anybody else? Are we pretty unanimous that everybody feels like it's easier to pray than read scripture? Or is anybody else going to be contrarian like Van? Huh. That's interesting. Okay. What, what do you feel like makes one easier than the other? If you don't mind sharing a little bit. Pray. Not read scripture. You have to, and this is going to sound bad, but for personal experience, you have to make time in your schedule to do that. To sit down and read. Whereas praying, you, yes, you still have to do it, but you can also do it, like you say, while you're driving down the road. You can say True. Prayer. Feels like it takes less time, maybe. Yes. Okay. And it's easier to do it more often than try to sit down because you're trying to read scripture. You're wanting to not just read it, but you want to comprehend, learn, and to find the hidden messages there. Whereas praying, it's not all in that involved. Okay. So Michael says it maybe takes less time. Any other thoughts? About everybody said they felt like it was easier. So what? what do you, what are some other reasons you feel like one is either the other? This I'm just I'm just curious. I know with prayer, I mean, when I pray for something, it draws me to the scriptures to hmm. look and see what it says about what I'm praying for. Well, that's some that's some depth to that. So you said you feel like when you feel like you pray, it actually can lead you to scriptures that are helpful too. Awesome. Okay. Maybe one more thought, and then I'll go on to our next question. I'm running out of time here already. For, for me, studying the scripture, I mean, you know, I, I'm not saying that I read it and I understand it and just run with it, but, but you know, I have resources available to me to help, you know, and, and it's more guided. And, you know, and I, I, I can reach out to resources and, and flesh out what the scripture is saying 
Whereas, you know, when I pray, I feel like a lot of times I just get in a rut and it's, hmm. you know, praying for the same things, which, you know, we're admonished to be careful of. Uh, and then you, you always, you know, you, you forget, you know, and, 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 you know, I've done it. I've, you know, others have talked about doing it. You know, you get up and you do, you, you lead opening prayer here in services and you forget to mention somebody or something, you know, and you do that in your daily prayers too. And it's like, you know, which in your daily prayers, you can go back and take care of that. But, you know, it's, you know, I just kind of feel like you can, you can become a creature of habit and it's all on you to, to have that conversation. Whereas with reading scriptures, you're guided, you're guided by the text. And, True. And so. Okay. Interesting. That, that's interesting. I, I want us to think of both of these two things. And I brought them both up because they're, they're really, our communication with God should be bidirectional. God talks to us through his word. We talk to him through prayer. We, we should feel like we do both of those things. Uh, someone wrote about this, that, that, that generals do not debate whether it is better for a soldier to have a right leg or a left leg. Uh, they prefer soldiers to have both legs. <laughs> and so rather than necessarily place the value of one, and my question wasn't about value, it was about ease, certainly. But rather than place the value or debate the value of one over the other, I want us to think about it as it literally being like two legs of, of our spiritual body, of both of which are ways we, you know, we have communication with God. We have to, we have to have faith in God when we pray. Or we have to think, He might not give it the way we want it when we expect it. True. It's like a woman playing, praying for the man. Nope, I'm not even going to address that one. I don't even know where that's going. Don't want to. Um, <laughs> But just a couple, a couple just quotes from some Christian writers on prayer in general. Um, someone said, it's easy to confuse wishing, hoping, and rejoicing, all of which the heart can do on its own with praying. And then he said, praying does not, does not simply mean pouring out one's heart, but it actually means finding a way to speak to God, whether our heart is full or is empty. And I guess I think about that as just sort of the difference between screaming, oh, Lord, in pain versus getting on your knees and saying, Lord, help me in my time of pain because you are the God of the universe and I am not. And you are helpful to fix this problem and I am not. And so just a couple things. I, um, we've kind of already talked about this, but I I've, find it almost harder to be regular in prayer than I do regular in reading the scriptures. And just some reasons I think that it can be difficult to pray is, you know, there's the time... What's funny is you said you feel like it's hard to make time to read scripture. I feel like sometimes it's hard to make time to regularly pray, you know, especially if you, if you live in a household with children or with family members or something. Sometimes it's hard to find just a moment by yourself just to pray. And we, go ahead. That's true. That's true. And, and almost in a, that's, I would say that's almost a positive thing that when we're talking, we want to keep it. Yeah. That's a good point. Well, I want to look at, uh, I want to look at a couple of scriptures, but we'll certainly start with Matthew 6. So flip over to Matthew 6. Matthew 6 is, of course, uh, where Jesus gives sort of his discursus or his little sermon on prayer. <laughs> 
And so we'll read uh, from Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5. In let's see, I'll ask somebody if they can read from verse 5 to verse through verse 8. Matthew 6, verse 5 through verse 8. Go ahead and read one more for us. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask him. Thank you. Thank you. Someone else go ahead and read. We'll finish the little section. Someone read for us verse 9 through verse 15. I know we've read this probably many times, but we'll go ahead and read it again. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Mm. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Thank you. Sorry, sometimes I have thoughts that I say out loud and I forget I'm mic'd up. <laughs> Thank you for reading that for us. Um, so what's funny about contrasting that first section we read in the second is that there, I mean, obviously in many, many, many Christian traditions, the Lord's Prayer has kind of become like the prayer that they pray in church. And what's funny about that is he tells you two sentences earlier, do not pray by throwing up empty words. And what's funny is even though we don't say this, have you ever found yourself kind of praying using the same five or six things that you know to say when you pray? Tell me if you've ever heard the verbs in a prayer guide, guard, and direct in any other order. That is apparently the ordained way in which we must pray, right? Guide, guard, and direct us. No one's ever said direct, guard, and because no, that's just how we pray. Actually, the other night here, one of our brethren flipped them. Oh, look at that. Good. <laughs> on purpose or on accident? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Or how about this? When we talk about things being pleasing and acceptable in God's sight. We have kind of these stock phrases that sometimes we return to in prayer. And I don't call them out to necessarily pick on anybody. But we know that this text, that again, we know the Lord's Prayer is one of those things that in certain Christian traditions is exalted. And that's like the only way they pray. That's the only prayer they say. And while we don't follow that, I do fear that sometimes we can fall into this rut of sort of just praying with only the words that we've heard other people pray before. And we think, well, this is just what people say when they pray. And I, I know, I've talked to many young men who, who they, if you hear them pray and you hear their dad pray, they say the same thing because they've never really thought on how to actually pray themselves. And we find ourselves in sort of a giving man fish versus teaching him how to fish situation. And so I wonder if we've just taught people the words to say in prayer rather than taught people how to actually approach God in honest, open prayer. And maybe what I'm saying making sense, maybe it doesn't. 
But when we read this, I, I want you to think about what it means to, as he says in verse 7, not to heap up empty phrases or empty words. Absolutely. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, we. Uh, and, and truthfully, I think this is sometimes why I would feel, un- had felt uncomfortable in prayer before. It's like, well, I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't know what to, you know, I don't, I don't know what to say. What do I have to say to God that is of any value, you know? And sometimes I guess that's just how I feel. But if you, if you read scripture, and that's what I'm, I'm hoping we'll study a little bit of, as you mentioned. You actually see plenty of examples of how God wants how God wants us to speak to Him. Um, we're not going to look at this particular chapter, but there's a section in Exodus that the, one of the most mind blowing things that I've read in Scripture, where it says Moses talked to, spoke to God as he would a friend, and that's that is the that is the communication I strive to have with God. But I mean that's that's a high standard. That's true. That's a good point. That's an excellent point. And, and we could probably have further discussion on like, is it right that we pray differently privately than we do publicly? But there's probably a natural amount of it that is just nervousness. Yeah. I mean, you get up there and you fall back on the things you know to say. That's a good point. That's a good point. I appreciate you raising that. I got, I got a question. When we're praying every morning, every night, for the people here in the church at Dover, are we to pray for those that are not sick? Nothing wrong with them? Aren't we supposed to pray for them too? Like Terrence and his family? I mean, if you're asking me if you to tell you that you should not pray for somebody, I'm definitely not going to do that. Yeah, pray. I'm just, I think you've got a blank check to pray for whoever you want, <laughs> just about. And we should, you're right, we should pray for everyone. We, should, we shouldn't be overly, and we'll get to that in a second too in terms of praying for the sick and how that, what our perspective kind of is and should be on that. Um, so, so we talk about not emptying up, him, not throwing up empty words. So looking at verse 9 through verse 13, without just repeating it word for word, what are some of the, the ideas or what's sort of the point that Jesus is, what are the ideas Jesus is expressing? What, what are the things that he's saying to pray that we should do, that we should model in our own prayer? We should pray with our heart. Pray with our heart? Absolutely. I mean, he kind of, if you just like go without going through it, basically the three things that are, you should always include in a prayer is you pray to God, which is what he opens with. Okay. And then about midway through, he, you know, presents, you know, the request to God that you do, whether it be, in this case, you say it was read, but whether it be for your sick or troubles that you may have. And then in, um, then you ask for, you know, forgiveness. And then it closes by um, asking for requests and then just saying, you know, basically draw that directly. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, so you mentioned kind of all the same things I noticed. But yeah, he, he gives glory to God or he praises God. Um, he, 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 he 
puts forth his supplication, his request, which in this case, yes, is give us this day our daily bread. And then as it's ironic to hear Jesus pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us, because we know Jesus is certainly not praying for himself. But he is telling them, pray that your sins are forgiven. Pray that you're not led into temptation. Pray that you can have the ability to forgive those who sin against you. So, you know, forgiveness of sins, patience to forgive others, uh, deliverance from temptation, deliverance from evil. What do you think he meant? Because we know kind of, we've talked about what we meant when we are, uh, when we read verse 7. How do you think the Jews reacted when he said, don't pray up by heaving up empty words? Well, what do you think his bet, like, what do you think really his message to them might have, what did he mean by saying don't heap up empty phrases? We've, we've talked about this a little bit of what we think it means already, but Kenny suggested pray with your heart. Meaning, okay, yeah. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. With meaning, with heart, with, with faith, certainly. Awesome. Good answers. Good answers. So the, the one kind of question I had for us taking away from this passage is, you know, are, are we, when we pray, are we praying empty words or are we praying from our heart? Um, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 6, we're not going to read it because we don't have time. But in Philippians 4, 4, he says, rejoice in all things. And then he follows up by saying, make prayer to God so that God will grant you peace. And that's one of those verses where you read it. It's like rejoice in all things. How am I supposed to do that? Well, by praying. Because when you pray to God, he, he will grant you peace. And, and so that's one of those things that uh, Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And so even in Romans, Paul acknowledges that some of y'all don't really know how to pray as you ought. But... The Spirit intercedes for us when we do not know how to pray that we ought. But you know, I had rather see young people get up there in prayer, and when they get up there, you know what they're going to say. They've had the courage to get up before a auditorium of people and start praying. And you don't know how frightening that is. Oh, yeah. But as when I was young, I could think, I, you know, I said the same prayer over and over. But as I got older and as I started, I started putting different words and stuff in your prayer. And you could see that over the period of time. So for somebody to get up there that's new in prayer and kind of repeat itself, you know, and repeat itself and repeat itself, that's fine. Because I know later on down the road, He's going to start learning from the heart and adding in the things that makes a beautiful prayer. I appreciate you mentioning that, Mike. I hope I didn't come across too antagonistic in the way I phrased that. But no. yeah, that's certainly those who are young in the faith, and I think uh, really when we think about Jesus' message in Matthew 6, I think that's who it's directed towards. And in fact, something we've looked at in one of the classes I'm taking in sort of the historical theology thing is, is early prayers of the apostles. That they had written down like just a few lines of things that they of prayers they would prayers they would say over and over. And, and what's interesting and just sort of reflecting on that is 
I think you can pray a memorized prayer, but it not be empty words still. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at, especially for someone who's young in the faith. And we have evidences of things that Peter or Paul or uh, James wrote and kind of passed along to say, pray like, you know what, if you don't know how to pray, and you're a new Christian and you're coming to God, and especially we talk about Christians who didn't have the Bible, you know, how do I pray? Well, start with this. Start by praising God, asking God to forgive you of your sins, and asking God just to give you the basic needs for your day. And there's this idea that, you know what, if you do that, and if your mind is truly on those things as you're praying, you will find your faith develop. So I absolutely appreciate you bringing up that point. Um, we didn't start till at least five after, so I'm going to go a couple more minutes here. Uh, flip over to Psalm 34. I wanted to look at a couple examples of biblical prayer. Look at Psalm 34. Or you know what? Scratch that. Go to Lamentations. It's going to go to Psalms. It's going to go to like seven more places, but we'll cut it down to one. Uh, go to Lamentations. Lamentations is right after Jeremiah. It's only a couple chapters long, and as a result, we don't study it very often. But as we talk about praying from the heart and praying honestly, I wanted to look at what I feel like is probably one of the better examples of just honest, raw, emotional prayer. Um, if, if you don't know, Lamentations literally means like to cry out or to lament. It, it's a, it's a, the prayer of a prophet who is afflicted, who is under great stress, who is under great trial. And I want to read just a few verses as we talk about this honest, heartful prayer. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3. And this is beginning in verse, verse 1. I'll start in verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. Just for context, if we looked at the end of Lamentations 2, the prophet is speaking of God. He's speaking his very honest emotional feelings on where he is spiritually at this time. Uh, keep reading in verse 4. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. So this is one of those where... He, this is not necessarily doctrinal or instructional. He's not saying God doesn't hear prayer as a general rule. But I think we'd be lying if we're saying we've never felt the way this man has felt. We're saying, God, I'm praying. What's going on? <laughs> you're walling me out. You're blocking me off. You're shutting me out. You're, you're not answering me. Why are you? You have blocked my ways with blocks of stones. You have made my paths crooked. You have made my chains heavy, and I cry out for help. He goes on for several verses talking about what he feels like he is going through. But go down to verse 20. Lamentations 3, verse 20. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Stop me if you've heard this part before. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. 
His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. If we have more time, I would continue a, a study in Lamentations. We'll, we'll pick this up uh, next week and we'll look at a few more of these passages. But I want you to see that when you can be honest in your prayer, when you can do as he, as Philippians says, you know, put forth your supplications and your needs and bear them honestly to God, because when you do, he will answer you. He will give you peace. So it's okay to, to, to be frustrated with God, to be angry, to be, because God wants us to be honest with him. He doesn't want us to heap up empty words and empty phrases. With that in mind, I'm going to go ahead and close this in a word of prayer. God, hallowed be thy name. When we come before your throne, it is only right for us to first think of your will and your kingdom and in your ways above all things. We thank you for the blessings of today, for the ability to wake us up in the morning and the ability, hopefully, to lay our heads on the pillow at night. We thank you for the material blessings that we were able to eat today, that we were able to get out today, that we were able to, to travel back and forth here from this building safely and, and freely without fear. We ask that you forgive us as that we know we sin and we fail you. We ask that you grant us the patience to forgive those who have wronged us. We ask all these things through Christ your Son. Amen.